Hi, hello, and welcome to Unlapped. Katie George, Lawrence Edmondson, and Nate Saunders. We've got the Hungarian Grand Prix preview coming your way. Daniel Ricardo makes his return. But a little bit of a miscommunication with Disney travel. Nate, are you actually going to Budapest? Or are you going to Bucharest in Romania? Well, until last week, I was going to Bucharest, Romania. And to be honest with you, I was kind of tempted just to stay with that, that trip booking. So yeah, I had a, had a bit of a miscommunication with the lovely people at Disney Travel. Um, very easily done. I think maybe I, you know, maybe I muttered where I was going. Uh, had a very long series of phone calls with them last week, and um, I'm now on a different flight to, to Budapest. But um, I only recognised. I've got to tip my hat to Lawrence here. Only recognised because Lawrence at Silverstone asked me which flight I was on. Couldn't find it in my inbox, and then thought, hang on a second. There had been at the beginning of the call, there had been like a Bucharest Budapest moment, and I was like, no, 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 it's Budapest. And I was like, oh no, and then suddenly dawned on me what had happened. So, but no. Rest assured, I'm going to Budapest. I mean, who knows? You know, with me, I might turn up tomorrow and I might be going somewhere completely different. Um, but as far as, I, as far as I'm aware, this one is to Budapest. I feel like this is a trend, Lawrence. You have saved the day on multiple occasions over the last few episodes. Yeah, I have to confess a bit of self-interest here, actually, because uh, I asked Nate which, who is flying with to Budapest, and he said British Airways, which is a nicer carrier, shall we say, than um, Wizz Air, which I'm using to get down there. I was like, oh, that's been fair. Nate's managed to get himself on the fancy flight. I'm on the cheap one. And then that's when it kind of started to unravel and we realized, oh, actually, it was uh, going to the wrong destination. But, you know, it it keeps it interesting at this stage of the season. You know, we, we get so used to... <laughs> yeah, there's nothing else to talk about otherwise. Got, got <laughs> to throw point. a few, few swirples in there. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm glad both of you are heading to Budapest tomorrow, it seems, to get ready for the Hungarian Grand Prix. Remember, if you're watching on YouTube, like this video, leave us a comment, and don't forget to subscribe to ESPN for more F1 content. And if you're listening, hit us with a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. Before we hit the Hungarian Grand Prix, a couple bits of news that I want to get into. The first being that FIA is allegedly set to approve two new F1 teams on the grid, and Dreddy being one of those teams. Lawrence, do we think that this report is legit that's coming out over the last 24 hours? Yeah, it probably is. Um, it, it's a good story. Uh, Michael Schmidt is a journalist behind it. He's been in F1 for ever, it seems, but um, he works automotor and sport and has got this story. And and it is in line with, with what we expected. We knew that the FIA was looking at um, new teams coming in, uh, basically evaluating whether they're in a position mm -hmm. to come into the sport uh, from a sporting perspective, from a financial perspective, lots of different checks going on in the background. And we also know that really we're going to find out towards the end of July um, which teams have made the cut. There was speculation that no teams would get in. Uh, there was speculation that maybe one team was getting in. But this looks like it's two. And uh, the likely two candidates are Andretti, uh, who have teamed up with Cadillac. And we know a lot about that entry because they've been very vocal about the fact they want to come into mm -hmm. Formula One. And the other one is High Tech GP, uh, which announced, uh, I think it was just a few weeks ago now, uh, their plans. Of course, their plans had already been submitted to the FIA. So um, two teams that are very keen to come in. Now, if they get to this stage, that's one thing, uh, being approved by the FIA. But then uh, Formula One also has to approve them, really, because in order for them to exist in the F1 ecosystem, they need to be signed up to what we call the Concord Agreement, which um, is really just a fancy way of saying the agreement that keeps the teams, the FIA and the F1 together. And probably one of the biggest factors in that is who gets money. And uh, if these new teams are not signed up to a Concord Agreement, they can't really compete in F1 because they won't be receiving any prize money. So that's the next step that has to happen. F1 has to agree as well. And while the FIA throughout this whole process, especially the FIA president, Mohammed Ben Slam, has been very keen on the idea of new teams joining the grid, 
F1 has been a little bit more kind of skeptical about the value they can bring. And uh, a lot of that, I think, has been reflected in what the existing teams have said. Um, mm-hmm. They don't actually get a say on, on who comes in, but they're very wary about protecting their position in the sport. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a fascinating few weeks. And all of this really could as well, if F1 does decide to take a different um, approach to allowing these new teams in, uh, it could feed this already existing tension that we have between the FIA, which looks after the sporting side, basically the policeman of the sport, and F1, which looks after the money and the commercial side. When was the last time, Nate, that we had more than 10 teams on the grid? It's a great question. Uh, last time we had, I, I, I just had this in front of me. Um, we... Was it 2014, 2015? I think that's the last so time I we think had a few 20, teams. End of 2014 was when we lost Caterham. Uh, 20, um, we had Manor, though, still going. Um, oh, and then Haas came in, didn't they? Yeah, so, so there was a stage. Yeah. yeah, so we're looking at 2010, 2012, when there was a lot of teams on the grid, a lot more teams on the grid. Um, but unfortunately, those teams all had kind of the, the newer teams that would join tended to have a history of just kind of dropping off the grid, you know, financial difficulties, et cetera. Um, and Haas is the newest team to have joined Formula One. Um, and they've kind of bucked that trend because obviously they're still going strong. Um, and I think it's interesting actually to 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 kind of look back at those days of when teams dropped off because a team like Haas, I know that Formula One teams don't necessarily have a say, but I don't think Formula One's going to push ahead with two of these new teams if any of the teams are um, existing teams aren't too happy with it. If you're a team like Haas or you're one of the smaller teams, you know you're you're looking at it right now and you're saying, you know, we made our investment in Formula One at a much, I suppose. Um, uh, sorry, less popular time for the sport. You mm-hmm. know, things weren't what they are right now. Um, kind of rode that wave, probably lost money, gained money, but, you know, there's probably a lot of risk there. And I think that there is a feeling among those teams that are currently on the grid that it's like, well, why should we give up these, you know, this slice of the pie, as it were, to teams coming in? You know, we, we've been there since teams were dropping off years ago. You know, we had to battle through that. And now the, the sport looks great. All these new teams want to join. So really fascinating dynamic in play. Um, but yeah, it's been a while, so long that I couldn't even tell you the date straight off the top of my head. Even though I knew you were going to ask me, I just it just completely dropped out of my head. So <laughs> apologies, Katie, and to our listeners for that terrible answer. No, um, I, I think I'll it's do just better. I'll do better. If, I'll do better with the next one. You have Bucharest <laughs> on your mind. That's why I still do. Yeah, I was still th- I was still thinking maybe I should have just gone for the holiday. Yeah. Maybe maybe I should at this rate. Maybe this is a sign that I should revive that old booking. <laughs> I, I think, though, it's an interesting distinction, though, because FIA proves it's not a guarantee that this is actually going to happen because the F1 piece comes into play. The teams don't have a legitimate vote to say yes or no, correct? But I have to imagine that team principals, certain members of power will be in Stefano Domenicali's ear one way or the other of if they approve of this or want this or if they absolutely dislike this premise so why, because I think the general consensus, Lawrence, is that F1 teams don't like the idea of adding more teams at this point. Why is that? Why is that kind of the general consensus and stance at this point? Um, it's really protecting the investment. So if you are one of 10 bits of a pie, then those, mm-hmm. that's going to be a certain size. If you're one of 11 or one of 12, then obviously that uh, size get, gets smaller. Now, this has been thought about, and currently there's an anti-dilution fee of 200 million, which a new team would have to pay and it would get split among uh, the existing teams. And there's all sorts of mash you can run on that and whether that would be beneficial or not. But the teams that exist at the moment have decided, considering the value that have been put against some of the teams recently, you can think of Alpine and the new investors there, 
uh, putting that team at over nine hundred million dollars, that perhaps that two hundred million dollars isn't isn't high enough. Now there are lots of conflicting views views on that and and uh, which way they should go. But um, that's ultimately it. Is that, is that the teams that already exist in F one want to protect the uh, income they have from F one, and they don't particularly want to share it with with, with anyone else. And they say, well, it, you know, if we are going to share it, whoever is coming in needs to increase the size of the pie. They need to increase mm-hmm. it so that each of those slices is just bigger by by the amount that F one can draw in uh, totally. So. It's um it, it's a really tough uh value to uh you know value game to, to to weigh up. I think ultimately the teams are all acting in in self interest, and that's probably not surprising. But as you correctly said, they they don't really have a say other than influence. They have been quite vocal in in the press. The one team that has been less so is probably Alpine, but uh, that's because they're likely to have a engine deal, perhaps even. They could explore the idea of chassis deals and probably gearbox as well um, with with new teams coming in uh, because they don't have any engine customers at the moment. So um, there's, you know, there's a few different views floating around the paddock, but from most of the teams, the general consensus seems to be let's protect what we've got. Uh, James Vowles, who is the Williams team's principal, talked about it. And Silverstone, I thought it was quite interesting that he said, you know, there's still a lot of F1 teams, even with the budget cap, that are still operating at a loss. And so, you know, until we can get to a position where all the teams are, are making a lot of profit. Um, you know, r- really, we should be questioning whether whether there is enough, you know, interest in F one as well and long term, because it shouldn't just be a short term decision based on the popularity yeah. of the sport right now. It should be based on a long term strategy for F one. So all of these factors have to be considered, and that's ultimately what will give us an answer. But um, yeah, if it is true that the FI has approved it, that you know that is a big step because it suggests that at least two of these. Uh, proposed new teams and there was only enough space for two but at least two of them have everything in place according to the FIA which regulates the sport to run a you know or a, a certainly competent Formula One team and um, yeah I think there's there is a fear as well that if if those checks hadn't been in place and and they hadn't been done thoroughly you might end up with teams coming unprepared to the grid and running around at the back and ultimately running out of money so the the good news is that from the FIA's perspective at least if this story is correct then mm-hmm. there are two teams that that have the potential to come onto the grid and compete, which is which is pretty cool. First off, I love the pie analogy. It reminded me of the viral video. Do you remember the English woman whose boyfriend is filming her and asks, could you eat eight pieces of pizza or 10 pieces of pizza? And she's like, oh, I could eat eight pieces of pizza, but I can't eat, I, I couldn't do 10. And he's like, but it's the same size pizza. Like, and he's trying to explain basic math to her. It's one of my favorite English videos of all time. So thank you for explaining basic math to us. Nate, for you, would you like to see more teams on the grid when you referenced a time ago that it was clearly unsuccessful and teams seemed to be dropping like flies if they couldn't financially handle it? Yeah, I mean, if it works, I think that's the key thing. You know, I think if mm-hmm. if... Anytime there's new teams, it means there's, I mean, if this, you know, let's say these 12, these two new teams do join the grid, that's four new drivers, you know, it's four spots where we get to see, you know, younger drivers coming in, you know, you maybe see more movement in a driver market. Um, The whole ecosystem of the sport becomes healthier. But I think that's the big kind of red flag in the whole thing is that it has to be, it has to be safe because the worst thing you could have is a new team coming in and then just dropping off as, as Lawrence mentioned. Um, it's going to be interesting as well. I think that uh, f- f- on two reasons, you know, either team Andretti, I don't think Michael Andretti really endeared himself to the F1 teams earlier this year. If you remember, he called them greedy earlier in the, you know, in January, I think it was when Ben Salian was really pushing the Andretti Cadillac uh, entry, which is really, you know, it's, it's not really the thing you should do to the, to a group of people that have 
all that influence behind the scenes. <laughs> High Tech's also interesting. So that's the 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 team that used to be very closely run by uh, Dmitry Mazepin, who's Nikita Mazepin's dad. He's actually given up the ownership, or at least publicly, of that team, but it's still believed to have a lot of say from him. And I think F1 are very, very cautious about the links to Russia at this point. So that's going to be interesting on that side to see if that kind of gets through um, uh, that process. And that might, I mean, it may be used as just an excuse to kind of, to knock them back as well. But I think um, if, Lance is absolutely right, you know, if, if the FIA has done their due diligence here and these two teams have business models that that work long-term, then I think it'd be great for F1 to do this. And, you know, we're always we're always gutted when, you know, people, you know, look at, I know Daniel Ricciardo's come back now, but when he dropped off the grid, there'd been more options for him, you know, maybe maybe he wouldn't have been in that situation in the first place. Um, you know, a guy like De Vries, maybe, you know, he'd have somewhere else to go. I don't know. It just it, it just makes makes everything a lot more fun. So um yeah, I'd be I'd be all for it, but I think I'm I'm skeptical because it doesn't yeah. know from what I've heard from the F1 side, none of the bids have really come in and really been like this is this is the one. There's always been something behind the scenes there. But again, as Lawrence mentioned a few times, there's self-interest always at play. So you just never know. You've always got to take it with a bit of a, a pinch of salt when when F when F1 teams are telling you these these new teams don't look great. You've got to be like, well, yeah, of course you're going to say that. Um, so so yeah, you know, good luck to them, and I hope um, either way it's going to be a great story because I think that mm. the the key is that if it doesn't go the way the FAA wants it, it's just another wedge in that relationship with F1 that we've seen growing and growing and growing for a while. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results. Fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence, knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. So we trust the reporting that FIA is believed to be ready to approve two new F1 teams on the grid based on the publication that it came from. Some other rumors have been circulating that three teams allegedly broke the budget cap in 2022. Lawrence, could you just give us a quick breakdown of what the budget cap is and why it was implemented? Yeah, so the budget cap exists in Formula One, uh, basically to try and level the playing field a bit. So um, we had this situation several years ago where top teams would be spending about 300 
400 million dollars and uh smaller teams were struggling to get a budget of you know 80 to 90 million dollars and so obviously there's a big discrepancy in there and and clearly you know the bigger teams are going to win all the time so the idea was to set it all at the same we start off 145 million that dropped to 140 million last year now we're at 135 million a year dollars that is um there's some allowances uh for the amount of races there are when there's a few more races on the calendar than the set amount then it goes up slightly uh there was also an allowance for inflation last year uh because it became quite clear quite early on that a lot of the teams realized that they were spending way more than imagined just on basic stuff you know uh energy for for, for the factories um you know just really kind of straightforward stuff that was hitting everyone in the world or certainly most of the western world uh with inflation so there had to be uh some allowance given for that and um and so yeah it, it, it's there and and i think actually you know it's done a a pretty good job i mean okay we've got an example where rip rebel a long way ahead at the moment but if you look at the rest of the field i think it really has leveled up there are some exceptions to the cap so your your drivers aren't including the cap so before mm-hmm. you think well lewis is on 50 million that must wipe out at least a good <laughs> third of mercedes strategy well not quite the drivers are still out of it and the top three staff at a team and then also things like marketing and various other exceptions uh to make sure the teams can still basically promote themselves and promote the sport so um yeah that, that that's what it is and uh we found out in October, like well, September, October last year, we started to get whisperings along along similar lines that um teams had had it gone over the budget cap. Um then we later found out that that one team was was Red Bull by a relatively small amount, but they uh, they were found to have gone over it and and they were punished. So they got a seven million dollar fine and a 10% reduction in in windshield testing. And then the FIA decided this year that they were going to bolster their financial regulations department. So the team of people has gone from, which was remarkably small, just four people uh, working on it full time to 10. Uh, so they've increased that. Um, they've had some deadlines that uh, have, have passed um, for uh, submitted accounts. That was uh, on March 31st. And then from May onwards, they were visiting teams and doing actual in-person audits. And so, um, yeah, we're now roughly at the time, although they haven't given an exact time, they don't want to hold themselves to a time and then fall short or rush anything. Mm-hmm. Um, they haven't given us an exact time, but we are getting to the, roughly the time where we expect to find out which teams, uh, well, what we'll find out is which teams have stayed within the cap. They will get a certificate. It sounds a bit like you're at school and you know you go to the front of the class and you get your certificate, but they get certificates uh, saying that they have stayed within the budget. And then the teams that haven't, we then start to find out the details of, of, of why they haven't and, and then potential punishments down the line. Well, it's no wonder we found out in October of last year, if you only had four people auditing all 10 teams, clearly you need more manpower. And we're a little bit earlier uh, on the timeline at this point this season. I think it's interesting. Stefano Domenicale had mentioned that the punishments will be sporting, not financial. You mentioned Red Bull getting that $7 million fine. And a lot of people in the aftermath of that said, well, if we're just going to get fined financially, what's to say we shouldn't exceed the budget cap moving forward? Now, allegedly, three teams uh, have exceeded the budget cap in 2022. Do you think that sporting punishments, Nate, was needed when Red Bull exceeded from the get-go in 2021? And then maybe that could have curtailed other teams from doing so in the future? Or do you think that sporting is the way to go to say that we're serious about this? Yeah, I think it's a a tricky one because one team principal told me last year that if 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 they'd retrospectively punished Red Bull with points, Red Bull finished so far ahead, really wouldn't have mattered you know if you if you'd taken some points off them from a sporting perspective you know if you do it into that season they could still have a dominant car and still kind of overcome that so it's a real balancing act of what is the right thing to do 
Um, and I don't, to be honest with you, I'm not sure what the right answer is. And it's going to be fascinating if these rumors are true. And, you know, our sort from our sources, we haven't been understand this up yet. But Lawrence is right. We started hearing these same whisperings before the Red Bull news last year. So you do start to wonder, you know, is this going to be, uh, is this going to actually be um, proven to be correct uh, down the line? It's going to be fascinating because one of the things I think that really didn't help last year was that Red Bull were kind of named as the guilty party before we knew how much they'd gone over. Mm-hmm. And as it turned out, it was a much smaller amount than some of the numbers that have been suggested to the media. You know, some people suggested it had been this massive, massive kind of egregious overspend. It was still an overspend, um, but Red Bull felt very confident that they could explain, you know, what that had come down to. You know, uh, and I think, you know, a lot of what what it came down to it had they marked certain things that were meant to be in the budget cap outside of it. That was also things in there as well. So it's really difficult because if you're if if they do it in the same way they did last year, which it sounds like they will with a certificate first and then you know a more detailed follow up later. It's impossible to know whether you know an overspend actually led to a perform- performance gain on track. That's what Red Bull said. You know, you've heard other teams say, "Well, you know how close twenty twenty one was. One upgrade at the end of the season could have pushed you over the line." But it's impossible to quantify that. So I don't know if there's a right answer to this. And my fear is with this budget cap. The budget cap is a great idea. You know, it's obviously been borrowed largely from American sports. You know, if if one team has overspent, let alone three, I think if the follow up isn't isn't severe if it's not proper then i i feel like the budget cap as a concept you might as well just kind of kiss it goodbye because it's very difficult f- to you know for it to stay serious and to say to be something that people actually respect and think that it you know it is being policed properly if you don't punish the team in the correct way but then that is completely down to the discretion of who's who's giving out the penalty and i don't know whether docking somebody a sporting penalty or a financial penalty, you don't know which is the right one. It's going to have a different impact on different teams, I would argue as well, you know, depending on the size of the team, depending on where they are in the championship, etc. So really, really difficult situation. And I think that, again, if if another team overspends this year and gets a sporting penalty, gets points deductions or whatever, they're going to turn around and say, well, hang on, well, Red Bull did this last mm-hmm. year and they didn't get anything. You know, even though, F, you know, the rules were changed last year, they'll still be able to point to that. So, potentially a very messy situation and i think um the, the the problem with this is obviously it works so well in american sports because the budget cap is kind of constantly being monitored this is so complicated you know someone mm-hmm. I, I i forget now but i'm pretty sure that the um the aston martin spreadsheet sorry uh, the, the aston martin and red bull spreadsheets that were sent into the fia the red bull one had 120,000 lines of a spreadsheet or something ridiculous like that so that's what's being audited by one team and then obviously all of that's got to be marked correctly if it's in the budget cap out the budget cap it's remarkable the undertaking and again another issue you have is if you are giving out sporting penalties this isn't february of this year we're talking about we're halfway into the next season so do you give a sporting penalty this year do you is it retrospective is it is it down the line is it for this year it's a real mess and i don't really i hope those rumors aren't true because I think it'll just be a horrible look for Formula One, especially in a year when, you know, let's say Red Bull has overspent again. You know, they're way out in front. They've obviously done an amazing job. You know, it, it doesn't look great if that team has overspent again. So I don't know really. There's no there's no good answer to it. But um, F1 has to stick to what it said. You know, F- F1 has to come down hard on anyone who did overspend. But I just don't see how they can do that uh, in a way that keeps everybody happy, regardless of who has overspent and whether they have. I think my biggest issue with it is that everything's done retroactively, right? So they're looking at this into the next season and then you're being punished 
for a season, if it's going to be sporting, then do those results, are they taken away? And then you mess with the integrity of the sport. And Lawrence, I don't know if those are a better answer. I mean, we're talking about 10 people who are now auditing these teams. I don't know if you can do it in real time as the expenses are coming in. So they're constantly monitoring if they get close. But the retroactive part of this, I think, is what doesn't sit well with me. You can't really do it in real time because mm-hmm. the accounts have to be, you know, to do it accurately, the accounts have to be prepared and submitted. And even then, you know, the teams get three months from the end of year to um, to the to deadline for submissions. So um, that's, I think, just the nature of how it is. I don't know if there's any other accounting system in the world that, that can work differently accurately. Mm-hmm. Um, the big difference this year is that the teams have had a go at this now, you know, they did do it in 2021. So in 2022, they already had some understanding of of potential pitfalls, you know, Red Bull found a few of those and the dialogue is open in real time. So if a team is going through a season and they're worried about, you know, and they can see knowing what was counted in 2021, they can see it building up in 2022. There was an open dialogue with the FIA that they could have. And uh, the FIA said a lot more people actually chose to use that uh some people used it surprisingly sparingly in 2021 i didn't get a name but you can assume it was red bull yet now you know a lot of teams to make sure that that they're in a position uh where, where they are getting it right um have used that a lot more so um really there's fewer excuses uh to be caught out and if there are fewer excuses and, and there's less reasons to be caught out then i think the penalties do have to be a bit stronger um, it's true that you know it, it it does create all sorts of issues if um you know if if a team like retrospectively has to be pulled out of a championship or whatever because because they've overspent by such a large amount um that would have to be a significant amount I think for to be able to access that penalty mm-hmm. um it has to be over five percent uh, that, that you're over in in terms of spending so you know quite quite a serious amount of money uh, Red Bull didn't didn't do that last year uh, in 2021 um so. Yeah, you know, th- these are factors, but in the same way that, you know, if we all found out, um, you know, after a race, as does happen, that, you know, a car was running illegally because, you know, it was running in a, an illegal kind of engine mapping or it was, you know, uh, had a, its rear wing was like the wrong shape and all that kind of stuff. It's like, well, you know, even, even if you find out afterwards, you still got to remove, remove them from the race. So um, I think in the most extreme examples where a team has clearly overspent by a huge amount just to win the championship, then you probably had have little choice but to do that. But I don't think any of the teams are in the business of doing that. You know, the mm-hmm. reputational damage above anything else would, would be huge for not only the, the team itself, but the brands associated with it. So I don't think we're going to go too much down that road. Uh, I think we'll still find out that they're accidental. But then um, when we talk about sporting penalties, it doesn't have to be removal of points. I would consider the um, the the aerodynamic testing restrictions that got put on Red Bull as a sporting penalty because it impacts what they can do with the car and design process to bring to the track. Oh. So, you know, that is a, is a good example. In terms of the financial stuff, people were saying, well, the seven million they got docked probably should have come out of their budget cap for the following year. And I can see the argument there, but then you also end up in a situation where teams are just going to get uh, done every year because every year their budget is getting to a, a ridiculously small amount. And of course, mm-hmm. these teams have employees. So you don't really want to be in a position where teams are having to lay people off because they're they're having their uh their available budget knocked down so much each year. So I think it, you know, there are there is a big balancing act to find, but I think the potential advantages of the budget cap some of which i think we are really genuinely starting to see um are so great that you know this is just the process we're going to have to go through and yes it's going to be um 
a bit of an event each year when we find out which teams, if any teams have done it. But in theory, you know, if, if everyone is is genuinely trying to act in uh, the, you know, the best interests of the sport, I think what we're going to see is, is you know, minor breaches or, or little mistakes along the way. And then, you know, similar penalties to what we, we saw with Red Bull. And I don't really see that being a major thing. The, the problem is when a team just spends ridiculously, wins a championship, and then, you know, you'd have to look at it. But I don't think any of the teams are going to get to that point. Well, obviously, we'll keep you posted as the whispers get louder regarding certain teams. And if we find out certain teams do not receive their certificates of excellence or whatever we want to call it, uh, we are certainly going to document it here on Unlapped. Let's I think they pin them up on the wall like you used to do with school. You surely. Know, like got them all surely they the have to be in the lobby of all their yeah. beautiful facilities. Uh, let's get out of the weeds for the moment and talk Budapest. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code FIRSTTAKE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more, more than, than ever. ever. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to gamble responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. This U.S. promotional offer not available in D.C. Mississippi, North Carolina, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 for New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. For Massachusetts, 1-800-327-5050. For Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. For Puerto Rico, 1-800-981-0023. For West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets but expire in seven days. In partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. All eyes are clearly going to be on Daniel Ricardo as he makes his return after taking some time off away from the track. What are our expectations? We obviously know he ran in the RB19 at Silverstone and that went very well. That's led to the seat that he has with Alphatari. But realistic expectations give me i want both answers from the two of you better than p15 just needs to finish the race p10 like where would you put the bar for this is a good weekend a good return for daniel ricardo or was this the right move i'd say clean weekend and beat yuki sonoda first weekend out i think that's you know there's that's a car with some pretty big limitations and Mm -hmm. The one thing you got to do in F1 is beat your teammate first and foremost. So if he can do that the first weekend out, I think it's a really strong start. And obviously he couldn't do that much in McLaren. So I think it would show the confidence is there. In terms of results, I mean, I don't know if that AlphaTauri is going to be challenging for points in a normal race. So the benchmark is going to be Yuki, I think. Yeah, I'm going to be boring and agree. I think that's absolutely that's absolutely right. But even if he doesn't quite Yuki, you know, if he gets within a tenth in qualifying, and mm. you know he's got comparable race pace, I think that's a really good starting point. Um, and then from there, you would hope that given a few races in the car, 
uh, Daniel would would improve with each one. Um, the other thing is making sure his, his neck doesn't fall off. The Pungar ring is corner after corner after corner after corner. And although we don't often think of it as a high-speed track, um, because it's just that relentless barrage of corners, and some of them are actually kind of medium speed and, and fairly high G-force as well, combined with the heat wave we're having in Europe at the moment and uh, almost certainly down in Budapest, um, you know, it's going to be a tough race uh, to get through. So there would also, I think there'll also be a personal battle going on in the cockpit just to make sure he sees the chequered flag because he hasn't been out that long, but there's mm. no real way to train the neck muscles in the same way that they have in Formula One. They do lots of stuff in the gym to try and prepare, but yeah, just to get to the level that they need for racing a Formula One car is is, is pretty intense. Who was it a couple of years ago that didn't have a seat or he came back to fill it? Was it Kevin Magnuson? That came back and they were all just like, how's your neck? Everybody's coming up to him afterwards. How's your neck? How's your neck? I think it was when he made his return. And that's when I was made aware of like just how grueling it can be in the cockpit when you've taken some time away. Yeah, I think it was K-Mag. I think I remember yeah. it. But um, but yeah, and 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 they all say it, you know, their first time back after a little time out, it's just it's just brutal. Um if, I don't know if you're a top gear fan, Katie, but Richard Hammond did a, a few laps okay. in F one car. And he said that he felt like his neck had nearly snapped off, you know, just <laughs> just unbelievable. I think and it's one thing you just don't see when you're watching on TV. Um, it's just those forces are ridiculous. So that's a really good point from Lawrence. I think that, you know, Red Bull will be taking all those things into account. You know, they're not they know this is a guy who's sat out a half of the season. You know, he's still in great shape, but he's not kind of race fit in that same in that same sense. How do you guys think that this affects Yuki moving forward? Just the arrival of Daniel Ricardo? It's a it's a big challenge for him. Um, you know, up against Pierre Gasly, who was his first teammate in F1, you know, he did get shown up a, a little bit, I think it's fair to say. And then this year, we've seen an overall improvement, uh, certainly versus Nick DeVries, but that's not really a fair comparison. But I think we've seen more consistency as well, which was one of the things that was really lacking with Yuki. We always saw that there was the potential for a very fast lap, and uh, certainly at certain tracks, they really seemed to suit him. But um, whether he can be consistent across a whole season against a teammate is another thing. So going up against someone who is an eight-time race winner, if Yuki can show that he's you know able to hold his own still, qualify ahead, uh, and then outrace on occasion, you know I think that's a really really good sign for Yuki because you kind of look at Yuki's career going forward, and and you got to wonder a little bit. You know he's very much tied to the Honda side of of the Red Bull kind of junior program uh, which won't be around after 2026 because Honda will supply Aston Martin but that could also present an opportunity for Yuki as well so I think this whole season has been make or break for Yuki Sonoda and if he can then prove himself against Daniel Ricciardo as well that is what could really make it and mean that he could stay in F1 long term. There's a fascinating subplot here as well because Yuki's current trainer is Michael Italiano who was Daniel Ricciardo's trainer for a long long time so that in itself is fascinating because if Yuki you know, you would imagine Yuki is going to have said to him, you know, tell me about this guy, you know, what, what you know, in what kind of pressure does he thrive mm-hmm. in? When does he, when does he not do so well? So I think that's a really interesting thing that Yuki has kind of in his locker. He's got a really unique insight into Ricardo from a guy who, as far as I'm aware, has worked with Ricardo for the majority of his Formula One career up until he left McLaren, you know, and obviously then, you know, then moved on to, to work with Yuki. So it doesn't seem like the biggest thing, but I think from a mental point of view, I think that's a really fascinating kind of added added bit to that. Alfatari's sister team, which I would rather refer to as Big Brother, Red Bull apparently is uh, bringing new upgrades to the Hungaro ring, claiming it will shave off two-tenths of a second of their lap time. 
So that's daunting to think about. Lawrence, what do we know about these new upgrades? It is daunting, isn't it? But then we could never mm-hmm. really expect for Red Bull just to stand still and let everyone else catch yeah. up. And arguably, at some tracks, we have seen that gap come down a little bit from where it was at the start of the season. So, yeah, I mean, two temps is, is probably what you would expect from a significant upgrade to a Formula One car. It's not always guaranteed. There's lots of factors that come into play. So you might get the two temps in the wind tunnel, but when you get it to the track, you realize that there's other issues that slightly hold you back, or perhaps you get more than that, which I think is what McLaren got with their latest upgrade. Um, there's a lot of talk around it being uh, a change to the side pods. Um, and uh, <laughs> there's this temptation, isn't there, that perhaps they've gone for a Mercedes-style zero side fold approach, but I don't suspect they have. I think what um, we might see is something carved away from the top. Uh, so if you look at the uh, Aston Martin, the Alpine, the latest McLaren upgrade, there's what's sometimes referred to as a water slide feature on it. So it kind of like slopes down. It's quite dug down into the into the shape of the side pod. And uh, Red Bull, I don't think, have really experimented with that quite yet. But it seems to be working for all of those teams. So they seem to have made decent gains off the back of it. It's not to say it's you know the magic bullet that that resolves all issues and, and gives you an, a guaranteed like two tenths of a second. But if you can get it to work with the overall concept, then it's possible. And Red Bull have admitted it at times this year. You know they said they've taken inspiration from their rivals, as the rest of the grid seems to be taken from uh, Red Bull in copying certain uh, shapes and, and design directions. Uh, Red Bull have said, you know, they've seen things on other cars and, and they found it, you know, put it in the wind tunnel, adapting it to their concept, getting an understanding of it has led to performance. So, um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what it is. Uh, I don't I don't actually know, but yes, yeah, so side pods have been rumoured. So that's a very visual thing. So we should be able to tell um, on Friday when they let us have a look at it outside the garage, what's changed on it. If they showed up with zero side pods, not only would that be like just the ultimate trolling, that is the anything you can do, I can do better. Like okay. mantra from Red. I'm I'm so, so curious to see what happens this weekend. Do we know are both Red Bulls getting the upgrades or is it just Max or Checo? Not sure, but I'm pretty sure okay. Red Bull usually roll them out to both drivers. Okay. Um, but I mean, we, so- we can, we'll confirm that as soon as we can on the weekend. Well, with that, Nate, then if you're supposed to shave off two tenths of a second on lap time, does that put even more pressure on Sergio Perez to perform and to qualify well, finally? Yeah, yeah massively. I mean, he's got a lot of time to shave off his lap times as, as it stands. You know, they've they've been pretty rough uh, for about five races now. Um, yeah, I think with or without the up, the upgrade, it's that you know the pressure's on. Especially, I think every weekend now is going to be even if Red Bull are downplaying it as much as possible. It is kind of going to be a kind of how did Ricardo do and how did a, how did Perez do kind of situation. Um, Christian Horner spoke on the F1 Nation podcast this week about that exact thing, and he said we've got no plans to take Perez out of the car next year. He's got a contract till the end of 2024. Said you know Ricardo wants to be in the car for 25. That's you know the long term game he's playing. But that said, you know with Ricardo there, if Perez does keep performing, I think we've said it a few times now on this on the last few episodes. At some point, the the mood of that will change. So. Mm-hmm. You know, what better weekend for Perez to turn things around? But I would say the pressure's on. And um, especially in qualifying, qualifying, it seems to be that seems to be where he's tripping up and it's then having a massive effect on the rest of his weekend. And even if he doesn't have that have that upgrade, you would expect that Red Bull should be challenging for the front row of the grid. So, you know, he needs to be there come Sunday morning when when the race starts, uh, or Sunday afternoon rather when the race starts. Um, so yeah, I'd say the pressure's there, but it's gonna I think that's gonna be really fascinating. Like if he doesn't do well, how quickly that tone around Ricardo's kind yeah. of position changes. Um, but yeah, maybe, yeah, who knows? 
the upgrade <laughs> two tenths off of that time i feel like for max it feels like every weekend he's shaving that amount of time off off of that red bull just because of how far ahead he is so uh, it's gonna be hard to actually see i think exactly how much of a step they've made for that reason I'm so excited to see how McLaren fares, right? Because they're going to continue to upgrade their car heading into the Hungarian Grand Prix after what was a great showing at Silverstone. But which McLaren are we going to see, Lawrence? Because, you know, previous tracks certainly suited their car. You are the expert, not me. But this track doesn't necessarily seem to lend itself to that car's traits. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It doesn't. So the where the McLaren was doing so well at Silverstone, especially was in the high-speed corners, and there aren't many of those around around Budapest. Um, so it, it is a different kind of, yeah, it, it requires different uh, performance kind of factors from from the car. And um, the other thing is is heat. Uh, it's going to be very hot, we think, this weekend. Uh, the McLaren has struggled with tyre degradation throughout the season. They've made some progress with that. And actually this, this smaller update, which has come into Hungary, which is almost like the third installment that they've done over the last three races, uh, that is aimed at trying to just not necessarily out, outright performance, but how, how the car looks after its tyres. So I guess there's some hope that if that works, then it will provide a bit of a breakthrough as well. But um, Andrea Stella, uh, who is the McLaren team principal, was was speaking after the Silverstone result. And they, he said, actually, you know, we're not expecting to be us fast in Hungary, but we're quite looking forward to Hungary because it's going to either confirm or deny a few kind of suspicions we have about this car. And if it exposes the flaws, at least we know wh- where we have to work. So um, I think they're going into it expecting to be, you know, some way back down the order. And don't forget, it doesn't take much to knock you from the best of the rest behind Red Bull uh, to outside the top 10 because you've got um, Ferrari, Aston Martin, Mercedes, Alpine, all fairly competitive at different types of tracks. So yeah, just a few things going against you, perhaps not getting the setup quite dialed in early on, uh, can actually push you a long way down that order. So um, I think they're yeah they're keen to to see and basically validate a few ideas that they have around the car and and also know where to work on next. Lando Norris obviously had a beautiful performance at Silverstone, but Oscar Piastri has just been so dang impressive. Can you just describe what we've seen, Nate, from him over the last few weeks? Yeah, I mean, Silverstone was really impressive because he had he had a race where he didn't have the upgrade. You know, Lando kind of stole the headlines when it came to Austria. Oscar gets the upgrade. And a bit like you mentioned with Perez, I think when when a driver gets an upgrade, it's always, always puts you under pressure. And if you're a, a rookie like he is, you always wonder how they're going to react to that situation. And he was fantastic at Silverstone. You know, it's probably the first weekend of this F1 rookie season of his where you started to think that's, that's the guy that Zach Brown kind of was willing to go to court with to um to get out of that alpine deal um and just looked really flawless all weekend you know he, he didn't really make any mistakes and actually should have really been on the podium you know if that safety car hadn't hadn't come and it did it would have been two mclaren drivers up there and lewis probably would have been in fourth so really really impressive i mean it's it's hard always to to make a sweeping kind of generalization based off one race but at the same time you know piastri his results if you look at them on paper they're not you know they're not incredibly impressive he had two two positions in the points two races in the points before Silverstone, but there's been no major mistakes. You know, there's not been any moments where it's like, oh, Piastri really looks out of his depth here. And sometimes as a rookie, that's that's all you really need to be doing, especially when you're replacing a guy that really struggled to match Lando's pace in Daniel Ricciardo. Um, I think he's doing really well. And um, he's another one of these kind of young talents that is frighteningly chilled about everything. He doesn't really seem that bothered by, you know, everybody 
talking about how great he is and all this stuff. And we saw that with Max at a young age. We've seen that with a few of the other guys at a young age. And it just suggests this unbelievable level of confidence in themselves. And um, yeah, I think, you know, obviously early days yet, but mm-hmm. Piastri does seem like a mega talent. And I think, you know, you talk to people at McLaren as well. Um, and they're just, they're super impressed with him. You know, how he's come in, adapted. And yeah, just kind of, I think, Already, when you talk to him, he exudes a bit of confidence, as if he's been in F one for a, a little while longer than than uh, than ten races. Makes it easy to understand why McLaren was so willing to fight for him to get him in their car this season. Yeah, definitely. The race for second gets more and more interesting. I feel like with each race between Ferrari, Mercedes, and Aston, Lawrence, who do you feel like this track suits the most? Because we've seen moments of brilliance from these three teams. We've also seen a lot of inconsistencies as well. Yeah, that's it. And it does, again, vary track to track and uh, how a car suits a certain circuit. So I know Aston Martin are a bit more confident about their car uh, uh, in Hungary compared to how it was in both Austria and Silverstone, to be honest. Um, you know, they all of a sudden, after this great start to the season, just didn't look like they were in the hunt for podiums anymore. And that kind of was a bit surprising at those two races. But they're pretty confident that um, they actually made a pretty good step with the new floor that they brought to Canada. And it's just a question of, you know, at the right track or, or tracks that maybe don't suit their rivals quite so much, uh, that's going to shine through. So I think uh, Aston Martin uh, should be up there. If they're not, again, it's, you know, they're learning about that car and that will probably ring a few alarm bells if they're not um, towards the front uh, of that pack this weekend. Um, similar thing for Ferrari. I think, uh, you know, they uh, they brought an upgrade in Spain and there were signs of promise in Canada as well. And um, there's been signs of promise along the way but we just know with ferrari inconsistency is is a real issue and uh fred vasseur the team principal was talking about this after silverstone and whether they need an update package because we have seen so often that the likes of mclaren bring an update or mercedes and it makes a big difference and you know it all gets talked about and we all praise them but he said actually there's a lot of potential just in the car that we're not really extracting so he seems to think that they can probably find as much performance if not more just from getting the setup absolutely right going into a weekend rather than adding you know a whole new part of you know kind of body work to the car or trying mm-hmm. to improve the downforce and then have facing more setup issues along the way. So um, there's definitely a balance to be found between just having the drivers comfortable in it, confident in it. Um, yeah. Finding, getting the car into a really drivable place where they can extract the performance as opposed to just launching um, uh, upgrades. I don't, the other team that might be in the mix, Alpine, maybe, um, you know, they, yeah. they've gone a bit quiet as well recently. Um, they brought a new front wing to Silverstone, but the track just didn't really seem to allow them to exploit it. On the other hand, they have a new floor coming at Spa, so maybe we should wait an extra race before uh, we expect to see them back in there. But they, they were just about on the on the fringes of of the battle um, ahead of them, and then McLaren have completely leapfrogged them. So they really do need to up their game uh, because they've gone from a team boasting about how they're hoping to finish fourth in the championship, closer to the traditional top three, and now they've dropped sixth in the championship. So yeah, they, they really do need to make sure they get some points on the board uh, over the next two rounds going into summer break. I'm jumping the gun on predictions just a little bit, but of Aston, Ferrari, and Mercedes, who do you think comes away with the most points in Hungary, Hungary, driver and team? So, Lawrence, you go first, then you, Nate. 
Uh, I'm actually, yeah, I'm, I'm going to trust in what Aston Martin was saying okay. uh, to the press in Silverstone and say Aston Martin came away. It is, that is dependent on Lance Stroll performing, which we know mm. recently no, gonna make he's, that point. Been, he's been underperforming, <laughs> but I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt as well. So I'm going to say Aston Martin, but of those two drivers, Fernando Alonso is the one that's going to get more points. Yeah. For the Lance Stroll reason, I'm going to give it to Mercedes. I think they've got two mm. more consistent drivers there, but I do agree. I think on raw pace, Aston should be back up there. Um, and it would be it would be baffling if they're not because that would be a massive fall from grace that we we haven't really seen that before in Formula One. Well, we, we've seen it before, but not for a long time in Formula One. A team kind of dropping down the pecking order so much. And this second, this battle for second, I'm actually really the more you think about it, the more entertaining it is. It's mm. obviously a shame it's not for first, but it week to week it is changing so much, and it is genuinely very difficult to sometimes. I mean, Silverstone, we were suddenly like, well, okay, so the McLaren. The McLaren we saw in Austria is is legit, you know, and it's legit on both cars. So, um, yeah, I'd put McLaren, uh, sorry, Mercedes, Aston, and then Ferrari, McLaren, kind of fighting somewhere below that. But for where McLaren was at the start of the season, I think that's a pretty big turnaround. There's a new restriction for tires for quality um, and the amount of tires that can be used. Can you just kind of give us what we're up for and in for this weekend, Lawrence? Yeah, so the idea idea behind this is to save tyres over a weekend. So currently each driver has 13 sets of slick tyres. They're looking to reduce that for essentially environmental purposes, cost purposes. It's a number of good reasons to do it, uh, but still make sure the racing is exciting. Now, the thing we have with the format at the moment where you have those three sessions in qualifying is that all the teams just want to use soft tyres because they're the fastest tyres. So everyone wants to just throw those at the car and uh, make it go as fast as possible. But if you change that by regulation, where in Q1 you have to use the hard compound tyre, then in Q2 you use the slightly faster medium compound tyre, and you can only use the soft tyre in Q3, then teams have to use certain tyres, which otherwise they may have got to the end of the weekend without even touching. Um, And so that's what they've done. They've said in Q1 it's hards, in Q2 it's mediums, in Q3 it's softs, and they'll see how it goes. Uh, It's very much one of those open-minded policies from F1 and the FIA uh, much like we saw with sprint races where they won't be afraid to say if it's not working that it's wrong or if there's an unexpected you know loophole somewhere along the way which we found a number of times with, with, with sprint racing then uh they'll address that but it's something that they could roll out uh, uh, in future years um but yeah it's just to see how it works if it really kind of impacts the racing in in any way uh qualifying really in any way and um yeah and what the reaction is from the teams and drivers because in theory if they've all got the same tires uh then it's kind of the same for everyone right i guess the only difference being is that some teams do work different compounds better or worse mm-hmm. uh but because they've all agreed to do it mid-season and give it a go and see what happens then they've all kind of let themselves in for it and and we'll see i mean it would be nice actually wouldn't it if, if it kind of created a few surprises mixed up the grid a little bit because certain drivers maybe you know just because of their skill set or the or their driving style can't get the hard tires turned on properly in q1 and then they don't make it you know that that could make an exciting grid as well so lots of factors at play Sounds pretty dull on paper, but um, I think the hope of F1 is that, yeah, it adds a little bit of something and at the very least just means they can save lugging two sets of tyres around that don't get used, get chopped up at the end of the weekend and no one ever sees them again. We'll do a review next week of if it has a major impact or not based on what takes place in quality. How about that? I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm not convinced. I mean, it 
I know why they've made the change, but I just find these things hard to get excited about. There's a lot. There's a few. There's a few journalists. Who Lawrence's are, explanation didn't get you. No, no. I mean, it, brilliant explanation. Brilliant, not not knocking Lawrence at all, but um, yeah. It's just there's the it's the amount of tire questions we do get. There's one one of our uh, colleagues often talks about the tire questions, and it's just going to be a weekend full of them. So, sure. um, not for me. But I mean, it. I I love that F1 is open to trying these things, and I think ultimately it shows that that mindset is continuing. So, not gonna, you know not going to be negative about it too much but um great explanation from lawrence just not my cup of tea otherwise not your cup of tea like mclaren's livery before monaco i remember uh you dragging them i think for that yeah okay yeah we won't go there, yeah yeah but... good good memory and yeah i did <laughs> <laughs> i did do that <laughs> all right prediction time uh, as it stands lawrence is currently in the lead followed by Nate, and then I bring up the rear in third. But that obviously is going to change because I picked up a couple of nice points in Silverstone. Predictions, Nate, get us started, please. Who's your top three? So, um, obviously, Max in first. Okay. Uh, Fernando Alonso second. And I think it's about time we put Sergio Perez back in third position. I think um, it would be baffling to me if he didn't get on the podium with okay. that pressure. And I think it's actually going to be a really good read of where Perez's kind of temperament is, you know, mental strength, resilience. Because I think, let's be honest, I don't think the pressure that we've all been putting him under, he he's obviously frustrated, but I think now that Ricardo's there, it's a whole other layer to that. So if he can have that clean weekend, there's no reason he shouldn't be on the podium. Um, and as we said earlier, I think Aston will will uh, be back up there in that position they were in, in the start of the year. I don't think I've put Alonso on the podium for a little bit. So I'm, I'm back in him. It's him. good, I'm it's good to have him. you back. Yeah, and I feel like my my position in the standings has dropped off since I stopped backing Fernando, and he's he's also dropped off. So I feel like you know if he's back, I'm just going to say Fernando second all year. Yeah, get your synergy back with him. Yeah, Florence, Florence is your top three. Uh, my top three. Well, last weekend for well for the British Grand Prix, I put Lewis Hamilton's win. I tried to go a little bit different, didn't work. So I'm going to mm-hmm. go for the most boring prediction <laughs> I can in the hope to uh, cement my place at the top. Max Verstappen, Sergio Perez, Fernando Alonso. Red Bull updates work. No excuses for the Red Bull not to take a one-two. It's remarkable they haven't taken more this year, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so Red Bull one-two followed by Fernando Alonso. How boring okay. is that? Uh, pretty boring. A little boring. bit more boring than my one. I put him. <laughs> yeah. So two Red Bulls up there. And uh, I sadly was going to go Max, Sergio, and then I was going to throw Lewis on there in third. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not buying the Aston Martin upgrades quite yet. I believe yeah, Lewis, I is, Lewis is, I mean, there's a lot of circuits where Lewis is great, but Hungaroring, I'm pretty sure he often says is one of his favorite circuits. So it's not a bad shout at all. Also, just sad that we've all written off McLaren uh, so quickly <laughs> after their triumph uh, two weekends ago in Silverstone. But we oh. shall see. Are you on the same flight to Budapest so that Lawrence can hold your hand to make sure you actually no. have to arrive? No, no I'm, um, I'm, on I'm on a different one, different flying from a different airport to the same airport as Lawrence okay. <laughs> um, yeah. well yeah we'll see I mean I land before Lawrence does so if he lands and he hasn't heard from me then I think um, we need to just review our whole travel policy because yeah. <laughs> we need to be on the same flight as Lawrence going forward otherwise I feel like this was a, a really therapeutic roast episode for Nate so thanks for being a great sport uh, have so much fun in Hungary we will see you both when you get back and we will uh, obviously digest and unpack everything that happens at this weekend's Grand Prix have a great day and uh, cheers we'll see you soon